Hey, uh, if you have your Bible, do me a favor, open it up to the book of Hebrews, um, the book of Hebrews chapter two. By the way, my name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here. So if you're, uh, if you're new with us and we haven't met, I'd love to be able to uh, meet you. Just really glad that you are here. Uh, we're not going to read from Hebrews two for, for a little bit, but that's where we're going to go in, in, in a bit. Um, we're going to have a lot of other scripture I'm going to bounce around in for some time uh, that you'll see on the screen. So I'm just not going to expect you to like follow me as we go. So Hebrews 2 is where I'd like for you to kind of land and we'll get there in a moment, but we've got a lot of Bible we're going to work through before we, we get there. You know, last Sunday, um, I'm going to raise this up. Last Sunday uh, after church, I uh, took my wife to the airport because she got this awesome opportunity to go uh, fly to El Paso, and she was with an organization called Women of Welcome. Uh, Women of Welcome is kind of a project offshoot of an organization called World Relief. And World Relief is a Christian organization that does a lot of work with refugees, um, asylum seekers, um, immigrants, and things like that in our country, amongst a bunch of other things that they do. But anyway, Women of Welcome really focuses on the work that is going on at the border, and they partner with various shelters there in El Paso on the U.S. side of the border and in Mexico on the Mexican side of the border. And she just got this opportunity to go see what they're doing, look at their ministry, visit some of those shelters, um, learn the stories of people that were there. And it was a, it was a great trip uh, for her. But one of the, one of the taglines that this organization, Women of Welcome, used as a part of their trip um, was choose proximity. Choose proximity. And that that's really struck me this week as I've been talking to her and hearing about her experience. And, and what they mean by choose proximity is this reality of, hey, there's so much being talked about when it comes to the border and immigration and policy and refugees and asylum seekers and illegal immigration. There's all of this stuff being talked about. And when you're at a distance from it, it's really easy to oversimplify all of those issues. But when you choose proximity, when you choose to go near, to learn stories, to actually see what's going on, what it's going to do is it's going to change your perspective. And what it's going to do is it's going to produce within you and your heart compassion and empathy and curiosity um, about the various people who are coming in and asylum seekers and all of that, that choosing proximity to people changes your perspective about them. And that makes total sense, right? It, it makes sense that when we are close with people, we get a different perspective than if we're distant from people. Um, if we're close with people, there's more relationally happening than when, when we're far away from people. That's why it's so much easier to have a hard conversation via text or email or social media than face-to-face -face because 80 to 90% of your communication is nonverbal, right? And so in that awkward situation, if you can cut out most of the communication and just stick to words, right, then it becomes much easier. So proximity does something relationally when we get close to people and it changes our perspective on people. It reminds me of this young woman that my wife and I have had the privilege of just serving as a family over the last couple of years. If you were to look at her from a distance, here's some of the things that you would see. You would see she shoplifts all the time, which is wrong and against the law. 
uh, you would see that she's a heavy, heavy, heavy drug addict. Um, you would see that the decisions she makes in parenting her child aren't really that great. She does not do a good job at caring for her daughter. She cares for her daughter immensely, but she doesn't do a great job of caring for her daughter. And so if you were to look at her from a distance, you would, man, it's just a mess. Just a mess. So much that she needs to get together. But when you get close and you're willing to listen to her story, here's some of the things that you would learn. You would learn that when she was three years old, she was put into foster care because she was abused heavily by her parents. And then you would know that she eventually got adopted out of foster care, but that didn't go well, so she got put back into foster care when she was nine. And then she lived in a group home for the rest of her teenage years where she became heavily drug addicted and also pregnant. And she had a little girl. And then she aged out of the foster care system and is now living in poverty, heavily drug addicted, trying to care for her daughter. And when you choose proximity and you get close, what begins to happen is compassion and empathy and curiosity flood into your heart. Does it mean that some of the things she's doing, it's, it's okay now, everything is justified, it's justified to go steal or this? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means proximity changes the way that you interact and care and be with her. And when I think about the ministry of Jesus, and when I read the New Testament, this is how Jesus did ministry. He chose proximity to people. And when he chose proximity to people, it's interesting, usually, it's not, not in every account, but in most of the accounts when Jesus does this, to when he's choosing proximity to the broken, to the desperate, what happens is there's someone around who is uncomfortable with Jesus doing that. There's someone around going, Jesus, I don't think this is a good idea. Jesus, is this kind of sending the right message to everyone? Jesus, I don't think that you, if you knew who this person was, you wouldn't be choosing to have this kind of proximity to that person. See, because distance keeps life really simple. If I'm distant from someone, then I can categorize them. But if I'm close with someone, all of the categories get blown up and compassion fills my heart. Let me just do a rundown here. Let me see if I can do this quick. I wanna give you six different encounters that Jesus had with people. I think of Luke chapter seven. Luke chapter seven, Jesus is in the home of this Pharisee. So a religious leader, right, of the Jews. And this Pharisee, his name is Simon. And they're eating a meal together. And the text says that this woman of the city who was a sinner, so that's kind of code for she was a prostitute, came in and began to anoint Jesus' feet with ointment and perfume, and, and, and her tears, and drying them with her hair. It was an act of worship. And, and look, look what happens. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 39, it says this. Uh, so this is Simon the Pharisee, um, that Jesus is in his house. He's saying this. He says, if this man were a prophet, if Jesus were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Very simple description of this woman. But Jesus chose proximity, allowed her to come in close and forgave her of her sins. 
changed her life. I think about the blind beggar. This is Luke chapter 18. There's a beggar on the side of the road and he hears, he's blind and he hears that Jesus is walking down the road and he starts to shout at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What happens? If you look at verses 39 and 40 of Luke 18, it says, and those who were in front of this crowd along the road waiting for Jesus to pass those and in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. He chose proximity to this blind, lame beggar and he heals him. I think about Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is a fraud. He's a traitor. He's a Jew that sold himself out to the, to the Romans who were occupying Israel at the time. And he's collecting taxes on behalf of the Romans and defrauding the other Jews by pocketing more than he needs to collect. The Jews hate this guy. Jesus sees Zacchaeus, goes to him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm staying in your house tonight. That was the first thing Jesus said to him. And then you see in Luke chapter 19, verse seven, and when they saw it, it's all the people in the crowds, they grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. It's very simple when we have distance, we can categorize so easily, but when we're close, it's different. And Jesus chose proximity and changed this guy's life. I think about the woman caught in adultery, John chapter eight. This woman is caught in the act of adultery. And you've got the Pharisees who take her and they drag her before Jesus. They actually bring her to Jesus, not because they want Jesus to minister to her, but because they want to trap Jesus. And of course, they drag the woman in front of Jesus and not the man. They say this, verses four to five, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And Jesus says, hey, whoever of you is without sin, whoever of you is perfectly righteous, pick up a stone and toss it. And they all walked away. And Jesus chose proximity to this woman, forgave her of her sins and changed her life. Think about the women at the well, John chapter four. This Samaritan woman, Jesus and his disciples are traveling through Samaria. The Samaritans and the Jews were ethnic enemies. The disciples go off to find some food. Jesus goes to this well and you have a Samaritan woman there. And Jesus begins to talk to her, which that already was a no-no for him to do in the eyes of everyone. That he would talk to a woman alone and that he would talk to a Samaritan. But Jesus begins to talk to her and Jesus knows her story. He draws near to her. He chooses proximity. He's able to speak truth to her and minister to her. And so look at this, verses 27 and 29 of John 4. It says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled. So they're coming back to the well and they see in the distance, Jesus and this woman talking. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or, or why are you talking to her? No one questioned Jesus of this, but it made them uncomfortable that Jesus was doing this. And so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This man knows me. He forgave me. He showed me grace and mercy. I 
think this is the Christ. Jesus chose proximity to her when everyone else would have chosen distance. Simple label. Samaritan woman, she's at the well in the middle of the day by herself. That probably means that she's shunned from her society, not visiting the well in the cool of the day like all the other women did. Last one, we could keep going. Luke chapter 13, this woman, Jesus is in the synagogue and he's teaching. And this woman walks in and she's had a disabling spirit for 13 years. She's bent over, suffering. She walks in. Jesus is teaching in front of the synagogue and he sees her and everything stops. He calls her up, chooses proximity and heals her of her ailment. And so the synagogue ruler, the the leader of the place gets up, verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. This woman to this synagogue ruler was an annoyance a frustration, but Jesus chose proximity and healed her. I, I could keep going on my whiteboard. I had a whole lot more and I just thought, let's just keep going. Let's just do it, right? But I chose six. You know, we read these stories of Jesus and how he chose proximity to people, even in the midst of opposition from those who were close to him, like the disciples or the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, When we read these stories, what's happening is we are being trained in how to follow Jesus, right? Following Jesus has become a phrase where it's kind of like, hey, I follow Jesus. And what we mean by that is I believe in him. I, I see myself as a Christian. I subscribe to these truths. But no, following Jesus is an action. We look at what he did and we do it after him. We We follow him. And so as we read these stories, we're being trained in how to follow Jesus. We're being trained in the fact that following Jesus means choosing proximity to the desperate, to the broken, to the hurting, and to the sinful. It trains us to have empathy and compassion and curiosity, to have proximity to people and and not distance. And so... It's in this context, all right? I wanted to just set that up. But I just want to make a few comments and say a few things about the Dobbs v. Jackson decision that was handed down two Fridays ago. That repealed Roe v. Wade. So obviously, as you know, Roe v. Wade provided a federal right to abortion. And with the repeal of that, that goes now to the states. So some states will ban it, some states won't. D.C., Maryland, Virginia, nothing changes so far right now in our states, although it could, now that it's just at the state level. Let me be really crystal clear. Let me just be so as clear as I can be. And I've preached on this before. I've sent that sermon to you if you want to go a look at it where I go more in depth on this. But I just want to be so clear. The Bible is crystal clear that life begins at conception. That is God's word to us. And, and we, must, we must believe that, not just because that's what the scripture says, but because that's what basic human dignity would force us to believe. Because 
Science only keeps pointing to the fact that life begins at conception. And so any sort of approximation or estimation that life might begin later is a very careless decision to make with a life. And so we believe that life begins at conception, that it is a human life that deserves every right and dignity that any human being would deserve as an image bearer of God. Life begins at conception. And so we celebrate and we're for any policy, any judicial decision that would protect life and continue to give and, and, and uh, protect the rights of the unborn. So we celebrate the decision that Dobbs v. Jackson made when it repealed Roe v. Wade and protected the life of the unborn. I want to be crystal clear with that. But I had to ask myself this week, and I had to ask myself when I read about the decision, why is my heart so heavy? What's going on inside of me? That's a question I've been telling you. You need to ask a lot I need to ask. And so I had to ask that of myself this week. What's going on inside of me? Because I celebrate the decision. And I think it's good. And I believe life begins at conception. But what's happening? And, I, and I, so I just had to pray. And, and so two things came, came up for me. Number one is I know that one in four women have been touched by abortion. And I know there's some of you in here that I know about. And my guess is there's others of you in here whom I don't know about. And it's so important to me as the pastor of this church, that this is a place where in that part of your story, we will choose proximity to you and not categorize you, that this would be a place for you to process that, to talk about it, to share it, and you're not gonna get shoved into a corner, you're not gonna look down upon. It's so important to me. And so it's so important that when it comes to our rhetoric from stage, that we were super cognizant of that. I need you to know that. Second thing that I thought this was going on inside of me is this, is that, you know, the Lord has given me the grace, my wife, the grace of having proximity to a lot of people who are desperate and vulnerable. You know, when I think about abortion, I think about it in three buckets. Um, the first bucket I think about, I think about um, elective abortion that is done uh, merely for convenience or as a form of birth control, and it's elected by people, elected to do it by people who have more than the means to take care of the baby. And, and I see that decision as a grave sin against God and the murder of a human being. And if that's part of your story, I, I, I want you to know that, again, it's important to me. It's a safe place for you to process that and to confess that, to receive the grace of God in that, to repent of it. But it's a grave sin against God. Yeah, I, I read a CNN article this week um, about, and the headline of the article was, we need to now have different conversations about sex because abortion can no longer be a form of birth control. That's evil. Second bucket of abortion that I think about is medically complicated situations. And I know there's a lot of fear right now about what does this mean about miscarriage care? What does this mean about really hard situations like ectopic pregnancies? I don't want to comment on those from stage because I want proximity 
to every one of those situations if they come up here at Grace Hill. And we wanna walk with you through them. But there's this third bucket. This is where I really wanna spend our time. Is this third bucket of people who get abortion or they consider abortion because they're desperate or because they were coerced into it. And I see this as a different bucket altogether. Now, let me be clear again, and so don't misconstrue my words. I'm not saying that desperation is justification for abortion. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying desperation is a justification for abortion, but I see this as a third bucket because I've been close with people who have said things like, every single child in my family back three generations has been horrifically abused. Why would I bring this child into this life? That is a question that I have never had to ask. That is never something I've ever had to wrestle with in my gut. Or a mom who's going, I have no way, I don't have no idea how I'm gonna care for this child economically. And so they're in this place where they're desperate and we make decisions differently than we're desperate. And one of the pieces of self-awareness that I have to have is going, I don't know if I've ever felt that kind of desperation before. So here's what I don't wanna do. I don't wanna have distance to it so I can oversimplify it. I wanna choose proximity to it so I can understand and allow my heart to grow in empathy and in compassion and in curiosity. So I think my heart was heavy with the decision because although I celebrate the policy and I celebrate what could, good could come from this, at the same time, I know that there's a whole group of people who are in a desperate situation and that desperation hasn't changed. It's still there. And it's so easy to stand at a distance from those people and, and say, well, you shouldn't have done this or you shouldn't have done that. And and maybe there's truth to it, but it doesn't matter when you're in the point of desperation. What these people need is people to choose proximity to them so that they can begin to understand and enter into their story. This is exactly what Jesus did. He chose proximity to the broken, to the desperate, and to the sinful. And he chose proximity before they cleaned themselves up. And there were people all around going, whoa, 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 be really careful. What if you send the wrong message, Jesus? What if people misinterpret that? What if, what if, what if? And Jesus just chose proximity to minister and to care. Grace Hill, this is the call that Jesus has given his church. We are his body. We're his body. So in the way that Jesus chose proximity with his physical body while he walked this earth, he has placed a call on his church to be now his physical body on earth and choose proximity to the broken and the desperate. And here's why. I'm gonna put this on the screen. The reason why he has called us to choose proximity is because choosing proximity will prevent us from judging from a distance and it will allow us to advocate for life with relational credibility and specific care. I want to read that again. Choosing proximity will prevent us from judging from a distance 
and it will allow us to advocate for life with relational credibility and specific care. It will allow us to get into people's lives and build trust with them. It will allow us to get into people's life and allow compassion and empathy build in our heart. It will allow us to get into people's life and know exactly where they need care. Because when we're from a distance, we don't know where they need care. We don't know their story. We don't know what they've been through. I really believe this. This is, this is a hard statement, but I love you enough to say it. I just don't think you can follow Jesus. I just don't think that the character of Christ will be formed in you or in me without proximity to the vulnerable, the desperate, the sinful, and the broken. It's what he did. And so you might ask how. Alan, how? How do I choose proximity to these people? What does that look like in my life? A simple way here at Grace Hill is lean into our gap ministry that we're building here at Grace Hill. At Grace Hill Church, Fairfax County sends us families whom they've identified as being in a vulnerable place or in a desperate place for for a number of reasons. And they're at risk of a number of things. And we get the joy. I mean, they came to us and they're like, hey, if the family consents and we send them to you, will you guys care for them? I'm like, what? You're asking us? Yes, because this is what the church does. And so what we can do, this is what we do. We simply, we, we deliver groceries to them a few times a month. But you know what that does? You know what the groceries allows us to do? Yes, provide for their needs, which we're overjoyed to do that for them. It lets us choose proximity. It lets us get close. And some of them will want to build a relationship and some of them won't and we'll respect whatever they want in that regard. But it allows us to begin to learn their stories. And I've heard the stories of you learning the stories of the families that you've gotten to care for. And you've been able to meet specific needs because you have now relational credibility and you know where to specifically care for them. And so we want this gap thing to grow. We want more families to come on. We want our entire church to lean into this because this is an opportunity to choose proximity. And the reason why we call it gap is this, is because most of us in this room, I'm not gonna say all of us, but most of us in this room, we have layers and layers and layers of relational support in our lives. That if something were to happen to us or we were to come on hard times, there would be people around us your church family, your, uh, your regular family, friends that would come around you and not let you fall and hit the ground. But all of these people that we're serving don't have that. They don't have those layers of relational support. Most of the time it's because they've immigrated here and they don't know anyone here. And so we wanna stand in the gap and become relational support if that's what they want. And so that's a way you can lean in to this stuff. You can lean in through building relationships with your neighbors. You can lean in by not taking on the the, the philosophy of sheltering yourself and your family from the broken and vulnerable and hurting and sinful of the world. We've been called to choose proximity to them, to get close to them, where it will be messy because it is the way of Jesus. And so the best way to put this into practice is just to ask, 
Who's around me? And what does it look like for me to begin to choose proximity to the desperate and the hurting? Because that's where we will have the opportunity to advocate for life in a way that Jesus would. You know, family, you can go to that Hebrews 2 passage. I think it's right here that we need to reflect on the fact that this is exactly what Jesus did for you and it's exactly what Jesus did for me. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. The writer of Hebrews says this, since therefore the children, that's human beings, you and me, share in flesh and blood, because we're human, we have flesh and blood, we have a body. He himself, Jesus, likewise, partook of the same things. He put on flesh and blood. He stepped out of heaven, he stepped out of paradise, put on flesh and blood, and entered into our broken world, as Philippians 2 would teach us. Partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What this verse is saying is that Jesus chose proximity. He chose proximity to humanity, to sinful humanity that had rebelled against him. He chose to draw in close instead of stay away. And he rescued us. I love this. It says he rescued us from the, the, the fear of death which subjected us to lifelong slavery, right? The the fear of death makes us desperate people. And because we're desperate people, we make all sorts of terrible decisions, right? Because we're desperate people in fear of death, we look to other things to be our God. Because we are fearful of death, we make terrible choices like not living according to the ways that God has called us to live, but thinking we know better than God, right? The garden in Genesis 3 is an example of humanity going out of their desperation and fear of death and that God might be holding on to them of making a terrible choice. We all do it. And what was Jesus' response? Proximity. He entered into our suffering and desperation and he felt it. Hebrews would teach us that he experienced it. He experienced temptation and discomfort and pain and hurt and desperation himself. Go read the account of the Garden of Gethsemane. He experienced all of it to rescue and to heal us. And he does it with relational credibility because he came and experienced what we experience. And he does it with specific care. He knows your story. He knows everything that you've done that would be sin against him. He knows everything that you're hiding. He knows everything that you might be ashamed of. All of that, Jesus can draw near to you with specific care because he can heal and forgive you of those very specific things. This is what Jesus has done for us. I love Mark chapter one. Um, Jesus uh, encounters a leper. And if you know about leprosy, especially in those days. It was awful skin disease that was deadly. You were declared unclean because it was so contagious, open sores all over you. 
So Jesus encounters this leper in Mark chapter one. I'll let you go read the account, but you know, you just have to kind of put yourself into the account with all the sights and smells. This is a man who would have been, he was smelled really bad. And he would have looked awful. Just ash white skin, flaky, open sores, unbathed, nasty, unclean. No one will come near him. And I love the account because it says that Jesus reaches out and touches him. And then he heals him. And I'm just thinking the centurion's daughter, like Jesus has a precedent. He, he can heal from a distance. He can. And if you think about it, none of us would have blamed Jesus if he saw him from far off, healed him, and then approached. But how would have this man known Jesus' love for him if he wasn't touched when he was nasty? He wouldn't have known it. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for you. That's the kind of proximity that Jesus has chosen to have with you. He draws near to you and touches in all of the nastiness that you know is in there. He knows is in there. It doesn't repel him. It draws him close. Like I want you to, want you to reflect on that this morning. Your sin against him your shame, your guilt, anything that doesn't repel Jesus from you. It draws him in. He's choosing proximity to you. And I'm just wondering how many of you are here today or listening online that that conception of Jesus, you've never had that conception of Jesus before. But that's exactly what the Gospels tells us who Jesus is. He chose to have that kind of proximity with you and he's calling you to himself. And that is what he's called his church to do. We are his body now and we've been called to go out and choose that kind of proximity to the broken, to the desperate and to the hurting and the sinful. I'm gonna go ahead and invite the band. You guys can come on up. Um, I, just, I just wanna leave some space because I wanna know I think each of us need to respond in some way this morning. I don't know what that is. Um, let me just say this, get this out of the way. If you have questions that you wanna process through when it comes to abortion, um, we'd love to do that with you. Feel free to email uh, me, my email, any of our elders' email and staff that are in your bulletin. We'd love to process that with you. Um, one of the things our pastor's gonna do, Ev, uh, Nick and I, what we're gonna do this week on Thursday is we're gonna go live on YouTube and Facebook and we're gonna do some more dialogue. I told you last week we were gonna do this, but I decided to preach on it and wanted to wait. So we're gonna do that this week. And, and, and so what I want you to do is if you have questions about this topic in particular that you want us to address and think about, please send those in to uh, in any of our email addresses in the bulletin or you can send it to pastors at gracehillchurch.com. Email those in and uh, we'll see those. And we'd love to uh, dialogue about those on Thursday. But for right now, for right now, just curious, maybe two responses that there could be in the room this morning. Number one is this. Maybe you're one of those that you've never thought of Jesus in such a way where your sin actually draws him close to you versus repels. 
Maybe that's something you've never even thought about before. And maybe this morning for you, one of your responses is receiving Jesus' love for you for the first time. Maybe it's receiving it for the thousandth time. But for you this morning, I need you to understand the kind of love that Jesus has for you and the proximity that he has chosen, excuse me, that he has chosen when it comes to you. And I want you to be reminded of that this morning. And maybe this morning, that's your response as we sing and we end is just to receive his love. But maybe for some of us in the room too, maybe our response is more confession and repentance. You know, God, I want to confess and I want to repent of the fact that I've, I've chosen distance from the broken versus proximity. And, and I want to follow Jesus. And I want to follow him right into those uncomfortable moments that maybe I'm afraid of. And maybe for you this morning, it's just letting God know that. God, I want to repent of that. I want to follow Jesus into every place that he goes not just the places that make me comfortable. Maybe that's your response. I don't know what it is, but we want to give space for it. Let me pray for us, and then we'll have some time to respond. Father, I have just two simple prayers. Number one, I just pray that if there's anyone in this room that doesn't understand the enormity of your love for them and the reality that you chose proximity. I pray right now, God, that by your spirit, you would soften their hearts and Lord, you would help them to feel your proximity to them. And I pray that they would trust it and let go. And God, for us as a church, my prayer is that we would be a church who stands for your truth, who stands for righteousness and justice, but willfully chooses proximity to the desperate, the hurting, the broken, and the sinful. Flood our hearts, God, with empathy, compassion, and curiosity. In Christ's name, amen.